The relationships that we have in our lives aren't static things. We have times when we feel really close to someone, like they understand us, like they have our backs, like they're for us, like we can trust and rely on them. We have times like that. But then at other times, for what can seem like no reason at all, that changes. A sense of distance grows. You start to um, second guess the things that people say to you. You wonder what they really meant by what they said. You feel yourself drifting away. You, you, you think that maybe actually you're more different to that person than you thought. That there are tensions that never used to be there. You find things frustrating that, that previously weren't a problem at all. But then, equally inexplicably, that closeness grows again. And you're more involved in each other's lives again. Relationships are complicated things. And I wonder if that description of relationships there that I've just given describes any of the relationships in your life, if you can recognise that. Now, let me ask you another question. What about your relationship with God? What about your relationship with God? Because that's a relationship too. Many people see God as this kind of cold, distant figure of power. Someone up there, someone other. Someone to respect, but not to have a relationship with. And the Bible does describe God as powerful. It describes him as other, as different to us in ways that we can't even begin to imagine. He is that. But alongside those descriptions of God, the Bible's very clear that God wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to know us and to be known by us. Yes, God is king and lord and creator and judge, but he's also called father, even daddy. He's called brother, friend, even lover. The Bible calls us to a deeply personal relationship with God. And let me say that if that's not your experience, then it can be. God wants that kind of relationship with you. Whoever you are, whatever your background, he loves you and he wants to know you. And I'd love to talk to you about that more. Or if you're in a life group, talk to your life group leader about that more if you want to explore that. And so when we think about this kind of personal relationship that we have with God, the question is, should we expect those same relationship dynamics that I just described about human relationships? Should we expect those relationship dynamics? to be present in our relationship with God. In other words, is our relationship with God an up and down kind of relationship? Should we expect times of closeness and times of distance? Well, our psalm today helps us to think about this. Psalms are songs written to be sung by God's people throughout history. And Psalm 63, the one we're looking at today, um, it's written by David. If you haven't got it open, let me encourage you to turn there because we'll be referring to it as we go through page 579. This is a psalm written by David, who was Israel's greatest king. He led the people of Israel through one of the high points of their history. And he wrote lots of the psalms that we get in the Bible. Now, David's life wasn't straightforward. He came from obscurity. He was, he was a shepherd boy. And he was chosen by God and told that he would become king of the nation. 
But his journey from shepherd boy to the throne wasn't straightforward. There were many occasions where his life was at risk. And when he did finally get to the throne, he saw a great deal of success as king. But alongside the success came many ups and downs. David lost a child. He killed a man so that he could take the man's wife. And God said, because of that, the sword wouldn't depart from his house. And it's that last point that is relevant to our psalm today. You see, later on in his life, one of David's um, grown-up children, called Absalom, he turned on David. He gathered together a group of supporters, um, a group of followers, and, and he decided to try to take the throne from his father. He wanted to be king instead of his dad. And David ended up on the run. He was in a desert. He was being chased by his son, and he was in fear of his own life. He was in, in fear of death. And while he was in that desert, running from his son, he wrote Psalm 63. Just try and put yourself into David's shoes for a moment. What would be going through your mind in that desert? Well, let's see what was going through David's mind. This is a psalm that is a, a total kind of treasure trove of brilliant stuff. So we're not going to look at it all. We're going to look at the first half. And the first thing that we see in it is this. It's thirst. Let me read to you verse 1 again. It says this. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Now, David is literally in the desert as he writes this. Have you ever been to a desert? How many of you have been to a desert? Yeah, a handful. Yeah. Kathy and I have spent uh, some time in deserts in the Middle East, and I can confirm this. Deserts are pretty hot and pretty dry. I hope that's not news to anyone. Uh, now, we were fine. I'm sure you were worried for a moment. We had water, we had shade, um, and other than the kind of usual suffering that ginger people have when it's hot, we were fine. Um, but David's experience was no doubt more difficult than that. He was on the run. For him, it would have been a really tough time. Thirst and heat exhaustion would have been a pressing issue for David. And so you'd expect David to cry out to God for water. Or maybe for a bit of shade like Jonah did. But David instead in this psalm describes a different thirst. David thirsts for God. I thirst for you, he says to God. My whole being longs for you. Now, as far as I know, none of us know the sheer desperation of thirst that you would feel in a desert. But I'm, I'm, I'm sure we can begin to imagine that, what it's like. But David didn't need to imagine it. He knew it. He was in the middle of experiencing this deep thirst for water. And he used the intensity of that thirst to describe his longing for God. Because to him, in that moment, God felt distant. His thirst for God wasn't being quenched. It felt to David like God was far off, and he longed for God with his whole being. David's life was a mess. 
He was on the run, his own son trying to take the throne. It may well be that this spiritual dip that he's experiencing is because of that, because of the circumstances of life. And that might be true for you today. It may be that the circumstances of your life have caused you to struggle to come to God, to find it hard to trust him as your father because he feels like he's not there for you. Maybe you've been suffering with physical or, or mental ill health. Or maybe it's because of disappointment. You've, you've come to realise that those things that you've been dreaming of for years, your hopes, are never going to be yours. And you're asking why. Maybe you're grieving. Maybe you're in the midst of relationship breakdown or of financial strain. Whatever it is. It could be that, like David, God is feeling distant right now because of the circumstances of your life. And so when we think about um, that question of whether our relationship with God is like human relationships with ups and downs, then in this sense it is. There are times when God can feel far off. When a sense of intimacy with him evades us. When we struggle to feel his presence, struggle to experience his joy and hope and, and the peace that knowing him brings. Has that ever been your experience if you're a Christian? Has God ever felt like that to you? Like he's beyond your grasp, far off and unknowable. Well, the reassurance from this psalm is that you're not on your own. You're not alone. To feel this way is a normal part of the Christian life. But there's another side to this coin, that it's vital that it goes hand in hand with this. You see, David's experience isn't simply of God feeling far off and distant, of his soul feeling dry and parched. See, hand in hand with that for David goes a deep thirst and longing for God. It's normal for Christians to feel distant from God at times. But the normal experience for Christians in those times should be a longing for intimacy, a longing for that closeness with God to be restored. And so if you're a Christian today, I want you to examine your heart. Does God feel distant? And if the answer is yes, then the crucial follow-up question is this, do you care? Do you care that he's distant? Are you pursuing God? You see, what David describes here is not simply a thirst, but his response to that thirst. Remember how verse one started, he said, you, are my, you God are my God, earnestly I seek you. That's how he's responding. Imagine for a minute a graph of the Christian life. Along the x-axis is time, and along the y-axis is closeness to God. And it's easy to imagine that the, the line of the graph of the Christian life is one that goes steadily up, of, of us getting closer and closer to God as our life goes along. But that is not what our relationship with God feels like. That's not what the Bible ex causes us to expect our relationship with God to feel like. There are times when our relationship with God feels precious where he feels close, where we feel an experience intimacy with him. We hear him speaking through his word. Prayer is a delight 
We, en- we enjoy worshipping him through song. We feel a real connection. We feel like we have the ear of our father. But there are dips in the graph too. Times when it feels like we're trudging through treacle. Bible reading is hard. Prayers feel like they're bouncing back off the ceiling. But here's what should mark those times. These times should be marked by an earnest seeking after God. What does that mean? It means grappling with his word. It means committing time to pursuing him in prayer, even though it feels like swimming against the tide. Earnestly I seek you. That's what David said. In his um, first letter, um, Peter in the New Testament says that we are to crave pure spiritual milk. It's another way of saying the same thing as David. We thirst, we crave, we long. Those are deep feelings because we know that God is my God. He is my father. And because we want to experience intimacy with him again. Are you in one of those dips in the graph right now? Be honest with yourself. If you are, let me urge you to examine your heart and make sure you still care that you're in that dip. Remember the God who is your God. Remember the one who called you and saved you and pursue him again. Thirst and crave and and long for him. That's the first point then, thirst. Now, why is David so insistent in his searching, so, so persistent? It's because he knows, he is confident that the thirst that he has will be satisfied. And that's our second heading today, satisfaction. Look with me from verse two again. It says, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. David longs for intimacy with God. He wants that thirst satisfied. So he earnestly seeks after it. But that seeking that he does is done with a confidence that it won't come to naught. That his thirst will be satisfied. He's confident of that. How does he have that confidence? Well, he tells us, verse 2, he says, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory. What is he what he's referring to there is the tabernacle. Now, in David's day, in the middle of Jerusalem, their kind of capital city, God's people, the Israelites, had this huge structure um, in the midst of them. It was like a movable temple. And in the middle of that tabernacle was an area called the Holy of Holies. Now, in the way that the tabernacle and the Holy of Holies was built, and in all of the kind of ceremonies that surrounded it, there was rich symbolism. Symbolism that showed what God was like. The tabernacle showed God's people how holy and perfect he was, but it also showed them that he was committed to them, that they were his people and he was their God. He was for them. He was their God. That's what the tabernacle showed. And David was well aware of that. 
He knew God's commitment to his people. He knew their history and all that God had done for them. He'd seen the tabernacle that showed God's commitment to his people. And so David was able to look at all of this and he was able to see the character of God. He was able to see God's commitment to his people. And that is what gave him confidence in the middle of this spiritual drought to to search after God, to seek him, because he knew that God would satisfy his thirst. He'd experienced closeness to God before, and he knew enough of God to know that he would experience it again. If you are in the middle of spiritual drought right now, I want you to hear this too. Keep seeking after God. Earnestly pursue him. You will be satisfied. You can be confident of that. Jesus promised this too. Um, In an echo of Psalm 63, Jesus said this. He said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. You see, when Jesus quenches our thirst for God, it's so satisfying that living waters, rivers of living waters, flow from within us. David described it in verse 5 as being satisfied as with the richest of foods. And so here's what I want you to hear today. Keep searching after God, even in the midst of your difficulties, because you will be satisfied. The circumstances may be hard. It may be that suffering or grief or or disappointment or whatever it is are making you feel like God is distant. Well, the circumstances themselves might not change. They may never change. But even in the middle of them, it is possible for you to come to a place where you feel close to God, where he feels close to you, where your relationship with him is enough, whatever's going on, where you're satisfied, where you can even praise him in the middle of it all. That's what David believes. Did you see that? Just look at verse three. He says, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. You see, David doesn't know how his hiding from Absalom will end. It may end up in death. But to David, God's love for him is better even than living. Even if his throne isn't restored, even if this all ends in death, David will still praise and glorify God. He says it again and again. Verse 4, he says, I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. Verse 5, with singing lips my mouth will praise you. David is in the middle of spiritual drought, thirsty for God, but he is confident that that thirst will be quenched, that even if life doesn't get better, his longing for God will be satisfied. Remember, he was confident because he'd seen God in his sanctuary. He'd seen the tabernacle, which, which had, was this symbol of God's closeness. And verse 3 tells us he's confident because of the love of God. Now, that word there that's translated as love could be translated as steadfast love. David here is evoking something really precious to God's people throughout history. It's that covenant love of God, the promised love 
of God. The love of God that he has chosen to express to his people and in doing so has tied himself to his people in a profoundly deep and unbreakable way. That's the love of God that's going, that he's talking about here. The Jesus Storybook Bible, that children's Bible, describes this love like this. It's, it's God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That's the love of God that David knows, that gives him confidence. And here's the wonderful thing. We can be way more confident than David ever was that our thirst will be satisfied that that satisfaction that leads to praise will be ours. And that's because this very same love of God, this covenantal, this steadfast, this unbreaking love is what led Jesus to the cross. We have way more confidence, way more basis for confidence than David. Jesus was so committed to loving his people so committed to being in relationship with them that he went to the cross for us. He paid the price for our rebellion so that sin, that, that barrier between us and God, sin could be broken, could be taken and the barrier broken. You see, in the end, that's what the tabernacle, that's what the sacrifice system all pointed forward to. Here's the wonderful truth about our relationship with God. You see, as we go through life, we experience these ups and downs, don't we? And how close we feel to God. There are times and, and, and circumstances in life where that make us feel like God is distant. Our hearts are so often cold towards him. Our graph goes up and down. But God's graph is not like that towards us. The graph of how God feels about us because of Jesus is consistently off the chart. He loves us consistently, faithfully, in a way that is deeper and more committed to us than we can possibly imagine. That's his love for us. And that's how we can be confident that our longing for God will be satisfied. David had a small glimpse of this. And that was enough for him to know that his longing for God would be satisfied. How could this God of steadfast love not satisfy? And we have seen that steadfast love so much more because we've seen the cross. Here's how Paul puts it. He says, God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? God, who did not spare his son, but gave him up for us all. Let's just think about what that means for a minute. Look into your own heart. I hope when you look there, you see some great things. Times you've been selfless and, and caring and you've put others before yourself. I hope you see plenty of that. But you'll also see this. You'll see times that you've hurt others. Times that out of spite or jealousy or even just laziness you've made choices that have had a harmful impact on those around you even those closest to you when you look into your heart you'll see thoughts that you are ashamed of you'll see actions that you wish you could take back you'll see times you've been cruel with your words times you've been greedy times you've 
fail to be the, the parent, the spouse, the friend, the colleague that you know you ought to be. You'll see some, maybe even all of these things. And here's the thing. God sees those things too. Even the things you've never revealed to anyone. He sees them and he sees their ugliness far more clearly than you ever will. God is repulsed by those things, actually. He hates them. And I know that's a strong word, but it's true. But here's the extraordinary thing. His repulsion doesn't drive him away from you, but towards you in love. His hatred for the darkest parts of, of your soul and my soul don't cause him to write you off. It causes his heart to ache for you. It causes his love to well up and to overflow into the most self-sacrificial act of all time. He gave his only son for you. That's how much he loves you. Those darkest places in you needed dealing with. Either he could have made you pay for them or he could deal with them himself. And if you trust in him, that's just what he's done. In one of the most profoundly wonderful verses in the Bible, we read this. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus wasn't oblivious to your sin. He knows what you are like. He knows what I am like. But at the cross, Jesus took our darkness, took our most shameful things, took our sin and evil and our brokenness, and he dealt with it. He paid for it. He took it in himself, and he faced the consequences of it. Why? So that we don't have to. Because he loves us. Because he wants to get all of that out of the way so that he can approach us, so that he can be in relationship with us. Not based on what we've done or what we've not done, but based on what he's done for us. That's his steadfast love. That's how far he is willing to go. That's how committed he is to his relationship with you. Paul said, he who did not spare his own son. When we see the sin in our own hearts, we realize the cost of that. But when we realize that, when we realize the sheer extent of his love, the next part of that verse becomes all the more precious. God who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? He did not spare his son for you. So, if you're in one of those trenches right now, you're seeking after God, you can be confident that he will satisfy your desire for him. You can be confident of that when you see the extent of his love. That steadfast love that is better than life that David speaks of in Psalm 63. We are up and down in our relationship with God, but God is not. Steadfast love, unwavering commitment. And that's why we can be sure that when we seek, we will be satisfied. That might not be immediate. God might have something to teach us in the waiting, but we will be satisfied. He will satisfy our hunger for closeness. He was willing to give his son for you. He loves you. He wants relationship with you. He will bring you to the place where you can say, with David, I will praise you. Let's wrap this up. You are human. 
I am human. Difficult circumstances in life can cloud our vision from that steadfast love of God. Our sin can get in the way. Our experience of our relationship with God can feel up and down. But none of these things will ever stop his love for you. Seek him earnestly. Keep going and you will be satisfied. Your thirst will be quenched. But there's a warning here too that I think we need to hear. If you're a Christian, there are two states you can be in. You can be thirsting or you can be satisfied. Which is it for you at the moment? Thirsting or satisfied? Or is it that you're seeking something else? Are you looking for satisfaction in career, relationships, community, financial security, comfort? It might be that you're not seeking after God because you feel satisfied in other things. Maybe even good things satisfy you. Maybe even Christian activity, living in community, serving within church, doing genuinely good things. Well, don't be deceived because unless you are thirsting for God or being satisfied in him, there's a danger that you're not really in relationship with him at all. And if that's you, you're missing out. It may be that your Christianity is simply superficial. It's churchianity. But you can't say with David, you, God, are my God. To be a Christian is to have a personal relationship with God. You and God. Being a Christian means lots of other things too, lots of wonderful things, but it has to start there. It has to be personal. You and God. And so if you aren't thirsting for him or being satisfied in him, then it might be that you don't know him at all. But the wonderful thing is, it's not too late for any of us. God holds out that invitation to you to receive his steadfast love, to know him personally, intimately. You can come to him today. You can seek after him. Tell him that you want to know him. Ask him for forgiveness. Ask him to give you a thirst for him and to satisfy that thirst in more wonderful ways than you can imagine, as with the richest of foods, as David says. If you do, if you come to him like that, he will answer that prayer. I'm going to finish by just reading through those verses again, slowly. And let's try and each of us make this our prayer as we apply it to the circumstances of our life. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you.